A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. What's going through his mind? Russian forces attacked the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, the largest in Europe. It bombarded a large nuclear power station, causing a fire. Please help us. Where will this end? The military plan is going as planned, and all the targets are being hit successfully. And would he press that button? Whoever would try to stop us should know that Russia's response will be immediate and lead you to such consequences that you have never faced in your history. There's a view of Putin which says these are impossible questions to answer, which paints him as a mysterious, mercurial figure, the ex-KGB man always impossible to predict. But today, we take the other view. That for quite some time, Putin has told us exactly who he is. If only we'd been listening. We've misread him countless times. I think we've not wanted to see what's been there all along, in a sense. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, what Putin wants. I'm Matthew Campbell. I'm the foreign features editor at the Sunday Times. I write about foreign affairs. I've been doing that for a very long time. And back in the early 90s, I was the Moscow correspondent. I observed the turbulent Yeltsin years and that period of extraordinary chaos when the whole country collapsed, basically, after the collapse of the Soviet Union. You were kind of present, weren't you, in that sense, for the early rebirth of Vladimir Putin? Yes, in a sense, uh, he was the assistant to the mayor of St. Petersburg when I was there. He was a very little-known KGB officer, and his rise to power is in some ways a complete mystery. I mean, he was completely unknown to the country, and Yeltsin basically sort of anointed him for reasons that remain somewhat obscure, (laughs) even to people who follow Kremlin events much more closely than I do. As people listen to this podcast, it's been a fortnight since the speech frankly changed the world. Monday, 21st February. Ukraine is not just a neighbour, neighbouring country to us. It is an inherent part of our own history, culture, spiritual space. Vladimir Putin, after having an extraordinary meeting with his advisor, spoke unscripted for an hour, talking not least about Ukraine and Russian history. 
Since ancient times, people from ancient southwestern Russian lands were calling themselves Russians and Orthodox. That was happening until 17th century when part of these territories rejoined the Russian Empire. Now, as you listened to that speech, what did you think? Well, one got the impression that he had moved into a different mode almost. Previously, his speeches have been less visceral, and you got the sense that he was seething with anger and that uh, this was a slightly different Putin from one we'd seen before. I deem it necessary to make a decision that should have been made a long time ago. I'm confident that I will have support of the people of Russia, all the patriotic forces of Russia. Thank you for your attention. One of the things that has often been said about Putin is that he is cold, calculating, essentially simply interested in the maintenance of power. That wasn't the speech of someone at all like that, was it? Well, I think there are two ways of looking at it. I think the maintenance of power and regime security has been the lodestar of his whole time in office, basically. He's a great tactician, a very cunning operator, but who essentially behind the presidential title and the expensive suits and the flashy watches, this man is a thug. And I've been talking to people recently who, you know, have knowledge not only of Russia, but also of international organized crime. And there's an intelligence contact of mine who describes Putin in this way and says that we have to understand that this man is essentially, you know, a mobster. He is at the head of a kleptocracy that has plundered billions from the country. The deal very early on, I think, was, you know, we can steal as much as we want and we'll bank it in the West. And I don't think anyone around him had signed up for some crusade against the West. So things have clearly evolved since early Putin. But I think the basic game was to get rich. And I think to that extent, Putin has succeeded. Now, of course, ideology has come into it. I think one striking element of that is Putin's devotion to a very obscure philosopher stroke theologian, Ivan Ilyin. Putin was so taken by his interest in Russia as an eternally innocent country in need of a man of destiny, a Tsar figure who would be stronger than any other leader and who could take on the world. This was basically Ivan Ilyin's message. His remains were dug up in Germany and brought back to Russia in a ceremony Putin had him reinterred. This, some cynics said, was simply an attempt by Putin to give his actions an element of respectability, in a sense, that you could use this to clothe your regime in ideology. But this alien thing is very interesting, because what you could easily think is a mobster doesn't have a need of an alien figure. A mobster doesn't need an ideology. A mobster just needs the wherewithal to rule practically and maintain his territory and his money coming in. So let's think a bit more about that transition to the Ilian lover. And first, I think it just reminds a bit more of what Ilian actually said. Ilian's big thing was that Russia is a great country and eternally innocent. 
If you think about it, Russia does indeed, under Putin, have this habit of denying reality. Defense Ministry wanted the world to see this video. Pictures, they say, of some tanks and troops headed back to military bases. In the last hours, Russia's Defense Ministry said some of its troops were returning to their bases after completing military drills near Ukraine's border. President Biden says as many as 150,000 Russian troops are still surrounding Ukraine. Other drills are still underway. Claims from Moscow met with skepticism. Who can say how the actual situation will develop, he said. Nobody so far. When accused of, most recently, planning an invasion of Ukraine, the Kremlin flatly denied it and said these are military exercises. When it was accused of involvement in the shooting down of a civilian airliner over Ukraine in 2014, the Kremlin denied having anything to do with it. When the Kremlin was accused of trying to poison Sergei Skripal in Salisbury in 2018, again, Moscow flatly denied it. It's more likely to have been a British intelligence operation. So there's a, a completely conflicting view of reality. Russia is innocent of any crimes and always will be. That's part, I think, of the alien message which appealed to Putin, perhaps. But also, Ilyin, I think, has been described as a Christian fascist. Now, that's a harder thing even to grasp, because Russia is, is an orthodox country. But, you know, obviously, Ilyin believed that the role of the uh, church was, was very important. And Putin has embraced the orthodox church. He has his own personal confessor. I don't know whether he still has these regular sessions with him. And I think, you know, obviously, the isolation of the... The pandemic has played into that, but Putin has been to Mount Athos and visited the Russian monastery there. That's in Greece. Yes, indeed, on on that long peninsula in Greece, where there are 20 monasteries, one one of them Russian, and it's the, the richest and the best endowed monastery. The money has flowed into Mount Athos, and a lot of the monks and the other monasteries have, have been getting quite jealous of the Russian monastery. So anyway, Putin has a great reputation in Russia for restoring the Orthodox Church after the seven decades of communism. There's a fabulously well-endowed cathedral, you know, built by by the oligarchs, and you know the the Russian Orthodox priests hold great sway in Moscow. This is very interesting because again, we go back to the dichotomy of gangster Putin and ideological, almost mystical Putin. Do you think that in concentrating on the gangster Putin, we might have missed in the run-up to this the ideological, mystical Putin? Well, I take your point, David, but I don't think that we have concentrated on the gangster Putin until just very recently. We haven't responded to his worst aggressions. I mean, I think in Crimea, we imposed sanctions. Sanctions have have not really had the effect that we might have wanted. And so I think Putin, the gangster, I think we've not wanted to see what's been there all along, in a sense. If you look at Putin's origins, he was born in St. Petersburg and as a child was already in a gang on the streets. They graduated from torturing rats and killing them to beating each other up. He very quickly rose to deputy mayor of St. Petersburg. But then, I mean, it is alleged that he formed all sorts of 
clandestine links with organized crime in that city. So to think of him as a mobster is not, it's not just a figure of speech. I think that we've overlooked that and that because he's the head of state, he's the Russian president, he's been able to play on the world stage as a world leader we have had to deal with. But we have always given him the benefit of the doubt until now, I think. What I find interesting added to, added to that, which is all fascinating, is this element of ideology, because you could easily argue that whatever he believed about this invasion of Ukraine, it is deeply unpragmatic. It is not what a pragmatist do. A pragmatist is, is much more careful. We know that he annexed Crimea from Ukraine back in 2014. Were there suggestions going back to then that he actually held an attitude towards Ukraine that suggested that he saw it being reincorporated into Russia somehow? Yes. I think all this goes back probably to 2007. One state, the United States, has overstepped its national borders in every way, economics, politics, humanitarian, all imposed by one state. Who would like that? It leads to a situation where nobody feels secure. Putin made clear to the West that Moscow would not accept further NATO expansion. Then in 2008... Hello and welcome to Top Story. The leaders of NATO begin a two-day summit today among the most divisive issues should NATO agree to give membership action plans to Georgia and Ukraine. NATO gave an open door to Georgia and Ukraine. Now, I think that that was led by demand. It wasn't as if NATO was going knocking on the doors of Georgia and Ukraine and saying, how about it? Why don't you come and join us? It'll be great. I think it was Georgia and Ukraine saying to NATO, we would like to join. And in, in the eyes of uh, Putin, at least, this was you know, NATO intruding into the backyard of Russia. So I think that Putin has been driven since then, in a sense, by his wish to re-establish Russian dominance over the Imperium. For him, the loss of the Soviet Union was a, a huge blow, in a sense. It was shocking, I think, as a, he was part of the nomenclature. You know, he, was, he did quite well under the system. He was a, a KGB colonel serving in Dresden in East Germany. And to see the collapse of this great empire that he had given his life to was deeply distressing. And I think that apart from the pragmatic Putin, the early Putin, okay, well, let's make some money. He has evolved over the years. And there is definitely this, uh, this obsession, I think it is, with restoring not necessarily the Soviet empire, but even perhaps the Tsarist empire. I haven't looked at the maps recently, but I have a feeling that the borders are very different. And there are lots of little places here and there that the <laughs> the Tsars used to rule over that were then lost by the Soviet Union and that Putin thinks that we should perhaps get back these lands. Ukraine certainly is historically one of them. Poland and Finland were others, as it happened. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, were, part of, were part of the Tsarist Russian Empire, although he yes. hasn't expressed any particular desire when it comes to those. Is that essentially how we should understand him, that actually he sees himself as a great Tsar. He's Ivan the Terrible. He's reuniting the Russian lands in the face of the foreigners. 
I think that's an interesting analogy. Yes, I think at this point, it's worth mentioning the psychological factor. He's been there for 22 years. He's you know well into his third decade in power. He is almost 70. In Russia, that's actually quite old. <laughs> and Putin, I think, is thinking of his legacy at this stage. He is also, curiously, I believe, thinking about what he's going to do in 2024 when he comes up for re-election. Now, obviously, the whole election idea in Russia these days is a, a complete sham because obviously Putin is not going to be voted out of office. But there's been a bit of a pattern here over the years because he went into Crimea shortly before an election. And I think the idea is that obviously there has been cheating in Russian elections and Putin's numbers are inflated beyond an absurd level. He, though, feels that he would like to be the great champion and he senses that in military operations he has been successful time and time again. So you would like to join the United States in the fight against ISIS. That's part of why you're there. Others think you're trying to save the Assad administration. Well, you're right. We support the legitimate government of Syria. Look at Syria, the intervention there saved Bashar al-Assad. I mean, even if they had to commit what a lot of people describe as war crimes. Militarily, it was a success. In Syria today, Russian and Syrian planes obliterated rebel-held neighborhoods of Aleppo. Civilian rescue workers were among the targets. One of the strikes was a so-called double tap. The second bomb exploding just as the rescuers were frantically digging out victims from the first. So was his help to Azerbaijan in the war against Armenia. In a triumphant tour of areas recaptured from Armenian forces, Azerbaijan's president celebrated what he called the restoration of his country's territorial integrity. Russian soldiers have started what is set to become a five-year peacekeeping mission. The campaign against the Chechens was one of the early successes. He was prime minister Back in 1999, he'd been named prime minister by Yeltsin when there was a series of devastating bombings in Moscow and elsewhere that left 300 people dead. Russians were appalled by what they regard as, as Chechen atrocities in Moscow. The Chechens always denied it had been anything to do with them. Putin basically exploited the great anger that was felt over these bombings. To launch a full scale invasion of Chechnya. Russian soldiers shout out Happy New Year as they send another shell hurtling into Grozny. He said terrorists were using Chechnya as a base from which to attack other Russian republics. Russia's new leadership has intensified hostilities in Chechnya. A few months later, Grozny, the capital of Chechnya, was a smoldering ruin. The war in Chechnya has made Russia's new acting president, Vladimir Putin, very popular. The voters seem certain to give Mr. Putin the job full time. So Putin has used military adventures to win popularity at home. The Chechen war was a huge success. And some Russian opposition figures believe that 
Putin used the bombings, much like Hitler did with the Reichstag fire, to consolidate his grip over the country. Let's talk a little bit before we go on to the kind of geopolitical situation he finds himself in, into some of the theatre of this. Because one of the most striking images, or several of the most striking images over the last few weeks, have been these meetings that Putin holds. Firstly, with foreign leaders at the end of that incredibly long table. I mean, absurd, (laughs) absurdly long table. Then when he has his consultation on the day before the invasion starts with his advisors and he's on one side of the hall and they're kind of collected on the other side of the hall and he kind of speaks to them across this vast distance. And then when he makes the nuclear threat, he's at the end of another long table with four little guys, two of them in uniform at the other end. And you look at this and you think, this is like something out of the court of some medieval autocrat. Yes, those two advisors looked, the the military uh, leaders rather, they looked quite shaken. They looked stunned, I thought. This is a one-man show, quite clearly, and has been for some time. Putin is surrounded basically by fawning sycophants. And we saw this in another extraordinary video clip of his meeting with the top advisors before he ordered the troops into Ukraine, when he was asking them what they thought about the separatist territories in eastern Ukraine. They got into a bit of a mess. One of them was sort of seen stammering into the microphone when he when he said the wrong thing, and then Putin challenged him quite menacingly, actually. And you, you felt that he was channeling his inner Blofeld and about to press a button and launch <laughs> one of them through the ceiling or something. But yes, I think he is extremely isolated. And I think it's what you might refer to as the, the palace syndrome. You know, he's the, the isolated Tsar figure who is surrounded by these yes men. He's only hearing what they want him to hear or what he wants to hear. And so for him, the idea of Ukrainians doing anything other than throwing flowers in front of his invading troops might have been quite a surprise. Coming up, how a Russian news agency prematurely declared victory and what their accidentally published article says about Putin's thinking. But first, a message from a colleague. I'm Anthony Lloyd, war correspondent for The Times. It's you who enables me to report from some of the most volatile environments in the world. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Every now and then, we journalists write pre-prepared articles to have in our back pockets in the event of breaking news and then file them away for when the day comes. Usually, they're obituaries of famous people. Sometimes, these things get published accidentally and it's all very embarrassing. Wikipedia's list of premature obituaries has over 400 examples. But in Moscow, it seems the editors wanted to get a head start on something rather different. Victory in Ukraine. Just two days after the invasion began, the RIA Novosti Agency published this by Pyotr Akopov, headlined, Russia and the New World Order. Russia's military operation in Ukraine has ushered in a new era. Ukraine has returned to Russia. Vladimir Putin has assumed, without a drop of exaggeration, a historic responsibility by deciding not to leave the solution of the Ukrainian question to future generations. Russia is restoring its historical fullness, gathering the Russian world, the Russian people, together in its entirety. That article has now been deleted. Was it published accidentally? Who knows? But it probably tells us something important. It was an extraordinary article, because what essentially it said was it was Putin's historic destiny and obligation to future generations to defeat the West's project to contain Russia and to return Ukraine to its Slavic union with Russia and Belarus. It gave us an extraordinary insight, really, into a form of thinking which might be Putin's. Yes, indeed. And I think, obviously, there has to be an attempt uh, in the Kremlin to justify this. And so they will, you know, grab at anything that they think could wrap it up in some sort of historic context. I think, though, that the Kremlin is having a, a lot of trouble controlling the narrative now, because in this age of social media and free-flowing information, obviously, it's very difficult, no matter how much you even try to control uh, Facebook and, and other social media. The videos from Ukraine of Russian soldiers being harangued by Ukrainians standing defiantly in front of tanks, those are flooding uh, the internet, challenging the Moscow narrative. And so I think anything used to justify uh, going into Ukraine, to clothe it in some sort of ideological decency or to give it, I mean, obviously, there'll be attempts to do this, but this is an example of Putin's thuggery, pure and simple. 
But is it also an example of his lack of fundamental reality? It always used to be said, if you remember, of the Soviet Union, that it was actually a poor country masquerading as a superpower, and it was called the Upper Volta with Rockets, if you, <laughs> if you remember. Yes, yes. I mean, is, is Putin's Russia... Ivan the Terrible with thermobaric weapons. <laughs> That's a terrifying thought, David. It does seem so. I think that Putin has shown a very monstrous side. I mentioned the the bombings, the apartment bombings in 1999. A lot of people believe that he himself, you know, may have that the KGB that he ran for a while, that he may have played a hand in it himself to justify a war in Chechnya, which would make him already uh, a mass murderer. You know, he's already used, in a sense, you could say he's already used weapons that he knows will cause the utmost suffering and an agonizing death to people he wants to get rid of on our own soil in Salisbury with Novichok. Police in Britain have released new video images of the two suspects whom they believe poisoned former Russian spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia. Police have now launched a murder inquiry after a woman exposed to the nerve agent Novichok in Wiltshire has died. The vial of Novichok that was found contained enough poison to kill 2,000 people, according to our security services. And I, unfortunately, I think what we're witnessing in Ukraine now is the latest appalling atrocity with the expected use of an ever heavier bombardment and possibly, you know, other more sophisticated weapons in which thousands of people may, may die. Is there, Matthew, an off-ramp for Putin? If we look at him and we look at his history and we look at how it's developed, do you think that if he is thwarted or if he can't replace the government in Kiev easily, there's a way he can de-escalate? I'm slightly worried that there may not be such a thing. Putin is completely isolated, I think, to the extent that he's kind of living in his own fantasy world at this moment. Something has happened to him in the past couple of years, and some people think it's to do with to do with the isolation forced on him under COVID. But also there are questions over his health and not only his mental health. There's been a sense of urgency about all this Ukrainian intervention, I think, that um, may, may signal something else going on that we don't know about. But Putin, I fear, will just keep on gambling over and over and putting more chips into the fight until, as in Grozny, you're left with a, a pile of rubble. On Tuesday, Boris Johnson visited Poland and held a press conference in Warsaw. And there was this impassioned question from a Ukrainian civil liberties campaigner. Ukrainian people are desperately asking for the West to protect our sky. We are asking for the no-fly zone. She wanted NATO to implement a no-fly zone. In other words, to threaten to shoot down Russian jets in Ukraine. We are saying response that it will trigger World War III. But what is the alternative, Mr. Prime Minister? NATO is not willing to defend because NATO is afraid of World War III, but it is already started. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for, uh, for your questions. When you listen to that, Matthew, do you think to yourself, yeah... Maybe we are in World War Three, the beginning of it, and we just haven't caught up with it yet. 
I, I do actually think that, yes. I think we're in a civilizational conflict. We have to stand up and defend our values. Obviously, I don't know what we're going to do. I think it's interesting, that was the Ukrainian talking. But in the next few days or weeks, with the escalation of the conflict in Ukraine, thousands of people being killed, we in this country undoubtedly are going to be witnessing from the comfort of our living rooms appalling abuses and atrocities. Go back to Syria, bombing hospitals, besieging towns and cities until they starve, basically. This is the Russian playbook. This country uh, will not sit back and, and watch that without sensing extreme indignation and horror. And the pressure on our leaders to do something about it is only going to grow. There is a level of violence that he could use in Ukraine which would incredibly increase the demand in the West for a response. If there were such a response, do you actually think he would use nuclear weapons? Do you think he would give that order? I do think that he would be willing to use them, yes. From what I understand, they talk about tactical nuclear weapons in the Russian arsenal. He, in one meeting with Trump, is alleged to have reminded the American president that Russia had developed uh, hypersonic missiles. And Trump had said, well, we'll get those too. To which Putin had replied, yeah, but that's going to take you some time. And there was an air of menace in his voice. And so I think that, you know, Putin, you know, if Putin has these tools at his disposal, he's going to be prepared to use them. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Sunday Times Foreign Features Editor Matthew Campbell. You can find all of Matthew's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer was James Shield, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you have an idea for a future episode or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.